Anyways. Let me get these notes. A wonderful song, song number 19. And uh, I can tell you, we are not going to do justice to it this evening. Uh, there's a number of verses that we can really get excited about it. And uh, at one point, I even thought, I'd I like to go to YouTube and find something <laughs> to illustrate the first part of the song. And uh, I said, well, that's going to be taking some more time, and I don't have a lot of time. Yeah, so uh, now that I don't have a lot of time, there is a lot in here. So we are going to take a, a, a big... Uh, picture kind of view you know we're going to fly high and take some looks but this is a this is a wonderful song with some uh, great intent in the song you know importance why did David write this and uh, what can we get out of this how does it apply to us what can we do with this and so let me turn it there and after I get to the right page uh, we'll start on a word of prayer. Okay, here we go. Lord God, we just want to thank you that you are God. We want to thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you that he died on the cross for our sins, for we are all sinners, and we have all come short of your glory, God. And if it were not been, had not been for your intervention, Lord, and uh, for your testimony, for your great glory, and Lord, for your goodness and righteousness and justice, in love and mercy and grace, Lord, we will find ourselves um, on the way to hell. Thank you for your innovation, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that as uh, we study your word now, Lord, that you will uh, use it to encourage us and that you will use this in our life, Lord, uh, to encourage others to, to be a word of witness to others, Lord, and to encourage others with that too and challenge others. And, and so be with us tonight, Lord, as we take uh, just a simple look at this psalm. And yet, Lord, I pray that the implication and the results of that will be great in our life and uh, in the life of others. We ask you this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this psalm, it begins, right? It says, uh, to the chief musician, a, a psalm of David. So the psalm is already identified the author itself, and that is uh, being David. And David wrote about 75 or so of the Psalms, or the 150 Psalms given to us, about 75, about half of them, 75 is right half, but somewhere around there <laughs> is the, uh, uh, the Psalm. Now, I don't remember the number, but who wrote the first Psalm that we find in the Book of Psalms? You remember? There is only one by this author in the Book of Psalms, and it's the first Psalm. And I don't remember the number of it. I think it's 70-something, but it's Moses. <laughs> One of the Psalms there is, uh, is written by Moses. I should have looked up the number. I was not going to say that. It just came to mind. So, uh, so that's what we have. And David was known for his Psalms. And actually, Scripture itself uh, singles out the Psalms of David. In 2 Samuel 23.1, we, we read what is written about David in relationship to the Psalms, and it says, Now these are the words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Uh, Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Isn't that neat? The sweet psalmist of Israel. So David was known for his Psalms. And the Psalms composed the, uh, we would say, the first hymn book of the church, right? That's what people sang, the, the psalms. And the psalms are, are, are that, they're, they're songs, okay? To be sung or to be uh, whatever they did with them. Now, when we get to Psalm 19, Psalm 19 is called what is uh, a doxology. And a doxology is a song of praise. A song of praise. Uh, praise to God's glory. And that's what, the, what we'll see. That's what the psalm does. It, it gets, leads right into the aspect of God's glory. Now, there are two aspects of God's glory. Okay? One is called the intrinsic, and the other one is the ascribed glory of God. Intrinsic glory of God, 
and ascribe glory of God. Now, the intrinsic glory of God is the glory that God has because of who he is. Right? It's the glory of his nature. It's the sum of all his attributes. It's the glory that he has because he is God. His goodness, his mercies, his grace, his faithfulness, his justice, his righteousness. All of that describes the intrinsic glory of God, right? God is, is, he has a glory of his own, right? And then is the ascribed glory of God. And uh, when we see, we see that a lot in the, in the Psalms, right? Uh, see, it says, uh, give God glory due to his name, right? There is a song, for example, 29, one says, give unto the Lord, you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory, right? That's ascribed glory. And the ascribed glory is not as opposite to the glory that God has because of who he is. It's the glory that man gives God. It's the praise of man toward God because of his attributes, because of what he has done. So ascri uh, uh, intrinsic glory is the glory that has because of who he is. And ascribed glory is when you and I say, praise the Lord. Right, we are glorifying God. We are honoring God. Something is wrong with this. Anyways, bad ears. I got bad ears. <laughs> okay, so what else we have? Um, yeah, in, uh, um, and we see a little bit of that played together in Psalm, uh, not in Psalms, in Romans chapter 1, right? In Romans 1 says that, God's greatness, God's glory, God's attributes, right? His glory is revealed where? In heaven. Everything that he has created, right? But then what did men fail to do? They failed to glorify him. So men saw the intrinsic glory of God in his creation, and they, and they failed to ascribe glory to God. Okay? In other words... They rob God of the glory that he deserves, right? So we have the intrinsic glory of God, the glory that God has because of who he is, the sum of all his attributes, per se, you know, his person, his nature, his character, right? And then the ascribed glory of God is when we say, praise the Lord, look what God has done. He answers prayer. He loves me. You know, he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins, so... We are, have an attitude of gratitude or thankfulness toward God. All right, Psalm 19 can be divided in three sections, and we are going to look at those. The first section is God's glory revealed in creation. The second section is God's glory revealed in his word. And the last section, we can see the expected response of men to God's revelation in his glory. Okay. So let's take a, a little bit about the God's glory revealed in creation. And, and, and what, the, uh, what David is doing here is not focusing on all of creation. But he's focused on a particular aspect of creation. And we think about, as we read this, we are going to ask the question, Why? And the text will answer it, right? We're going to see why this aspect of creation, okay? So who would like to read for us verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19? Somebody like John? Yeah. Okay, thank you, John. Now, the first, and I should ask you this, but uh, look at those six verses. I'll give you a second to look at that. I'm going to ask you for some words to look for, some, some ideas. Look on these verses and look for words of proclamation. Words of proclamation, you know. Uh, for example, and I'll, I'll, we'll work on this. Look at verse 1. What word of proclamation are there? 
declare, right? Uh, declare to tell, to pronounce. How about in verse 2? Out of speech. There he goes. You know, again, to communicate, to say something. Okay? And then I have out verse 4. Uh, yeah, and I, I was thinking yeah, their name has gone through or in uh, their words to the end of the earth, right? Yeah. So the, it's the, the idea that in this section there is an emphasis on proclamation, on making an announcement, on making a statement. So God is making a statement. God is saying something here, right? And uh, so as we think of those terms, he not only makes a statement, but he goes to use words of evidence. So look at uh, verse um, uh, 1. What, uh, what word of evidence perhaps is there of this, yeah, of this play? <laughs> yeah, but there's another one. And the firmament shows. Right? So it's not only proclaiming it, but he's doing what? Showing it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something, but I'm not just going to tell you. I'm going to show it to you so you can see. It's all about his glory. I'm going to tell you about my glory, and I want you to see the work of my glory. And look at verse 2, the same idea, right? When it says, day unto day out of speech, and night unto night, that's what? Reveals. It puts forward its display, Right? So I want you to pick up on this word. No, uh, another idea. This is important. Uh, the idea of universality. Universality, right? Um, look at, uh, and that might be a little bit involved here. Uh, verse 1. What, is the, what kind of words imply there perhaps an idea of being a proclamation that, is, that goes out to hold the, the, all the world? Perhaps it's not that clear, but, you know, I thought about heavens and firmament. Is there any part of the earth that is not under heavens? <laughs> is there any part of the earth that is not under the sky? All of it, right? Under the heavens. So how about uh, verse um, uh, 3? Again, idea of universal. That everybody is aware of this. Verse 3 says, There is no speech nor language where their voices is not heard. What does that mean? Everybody has been exposed to that. Anybody that steps aside and says, well, you know, I'm under the sky. They're listening or God is communicating with them, right? God is reaching out to them. Uh, and also in, in, their, uh, in verse 4, it says, Their line has gone out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So God is making a proclamation about his glory right, that God has gone out to whom? To everybody. Right? Everybody has, is, yeah, the whole world, right, is impacted by that. It has heard that. And then look at the constancy, you know. Constantly God does that. Look at verse 2. What idea on verse 2 says that it's constant, that God does that continually? Day after day, night after night. So God, in his grace, is continually sending a message to the world. He's continually saying, listen, pay attention, look, right? And what, does, what is God revealing in all this, in these verses. What is he revealing? His glory, right? He's talking about his glory. So God is communicating his glory to everybody. God is telling everybody, hey, you know, uh, look at me. Look at what I've done. Right? And then we're going to answer the question, why does God doing that? And then look at verse, uh, uh, verse 5, I think it is. Um, yeah, the end, uh, the end of verse 4 in the verse, and then 5 and 6. Who is the great witness? 
that is brought out there. And verse, huh? the sun. Uh, today is a sunny day. And we can all feel the heat. <laughs> like it says here, right? <laughs> it says there uh, at the end of verse 6, and there is nothing hidden from his heat, right? Um, <laughs> Luke and I went on a bicycle ride yesterday, right? And I was beat, but we got about halfway through. We were ready to turn around. And I said to uh, uh, Luke, say, let's rest a little bit. Let's sit over there, Luke. So we sat on some concrete steps. And, uh, you know, we're all doing this. <laughs> Luke and I, eventually we both went up and said, this stuff is too hot. <laughs> you know, we were that tired, but it was too hot to sit on those con- in that concrete. Right, Luke? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nothing is hidden from his heat, right? So the idea on these first few verses is that God's testimony about himself has gone out. And it has gone out to the whole world. He's revealing himself to the whole world. And what is he using to do that? And, and if we read those verses 5 and 6, you'll see how it describes the beauty of a sunset. The beauty of a sunrise. The beauty of a sunset. Right? And the awe that we get in there. So that it comes like a bridegroom out of the chambers. You know, you ever get up in the morning and say, man, what a beautiful sunrise. Or what a beautiful sunset. And how the sun does its lines, travels through. So he's describing that. Right? So now God is talking about his communication with people. And we say that he does that with nature. But is he doing that here with all of the nature? Not really. Right? What is God using with his creation, we say? You know, is God doing that with all of his creation here in Psalm 6? Uh, communicating his glory. Yeah, is, is Psalm 6 doing... Uh, ex- uh, I'm sorry? Uh, Psalm 19, what I'm going to say. In Psalm 19, God is communicating his glory. But is he doing that with all of creation? Is he bringing into, as a testimony, all of creation? Right. But think about these things. You know, what if God would have said... 3,000 years ago, start talking about, have you looked at the DNA strand? <laughs> have you looked at the depth of the sea? People will be scratching their heads, right? But when God brings the universe, the stars, and the planets, and the sun, the day and the night, right? What kind of instrument do we need to look at that? What kind of technology do we need to look at that? None. Who's exposed to that? Everybody, right? That's why when people reject that, Paul says in Romans 1, what? That they are without excuse, right? Because the sun, the stars, the planets, everything that we see, right, is evident to everyone. So, if I live in the middle of the United States, in Nebraska, right, and I don't have access to an ocean, right, that I can go in and deep dive there or whatever, I can still look at the sky, <laughs> you know. Uh, if I'm living, you know, 3,000 years ago and I don't have any technology or any telescopes or anything like that, I can still sit outside and look at the sky and say, oh, wow, you know. I remember years ago, we, used to, we were in Montana, and a friend of ours uh, and I, we went elk hunting. Didn't kill anything. <laughs> but we are on the top of this mountain. There is no moon, and that night is pitch, pitch dark. You know, we're in the middle of the mountains there in Montana. There is no light whatsoever. I put my hand in front of me. I can't see my hand. That's how dark it is, right? And then I did this. And then it went, wow. <laughs> right? Uh, sadly, 
in the current environment that we live for us, right, it's difficult even to see the stars now. We can see a few because we live in cities, in town, and there's lights and this and that, you know. But it'll be nice once in a while just to get out and lay on the hood of your car and look up. And you say, wow. And the more you look, the more you see. The stars are coming up. The light of the stars now is reaching your eyes. And you say, no, there is a lot of stars there. And then you say, wow, no, there is a lot, a lot of stars there. And then you say, wow, no, there is a lot of stars there. Right? And we can see and try to perceive the, the grandeur of God, the glory of God. Right? And so, because uh, he's communicating. Now, question why is God doing that? Why do you think that God is communicating through the heavens and the earth, right? Uh, and the sky and the heavens, right? Why do you think that God is communicating with us, with people? You know, I, I thought, I, <laughs> I told Matt, I said, you know, maybe when I talk to an unbeliever and say that they don't believe in God, I should tell them this. I said, you know what you ought to do? You just... Grab your lawn chair, get out of the city where it's dark, and put your lawn chair down, grab a beer, and look at the sky. <laughs> Nothing wrong with drinking, right? So do that. And spend some time appreciating what God has done. Eventually, you're going to have to get to the moment that you're going to say, wow, who am I? Right? Who am I looking at this? And you start thinking about life and your life. And you're going to come up and say, or people are going to come up and say, there's got to be a God. There's got to be a God. Right? So why does God do that for us? I take it that the reason that God does that is to draw people to himself. Okay. So now people will go from a general revelation that God is doing in nature to a special revelation because you're saying, you know, there's got to be a God. Who put this on? Let me learn more about this God. I want to know more about him. Where do I go? Well, what does the second part of Psalm 19 go to? It goes to the word, right? It's God's general revelation through the heavens. And then he goes to the special revelation to the word. So the general revelation of to attract us to God, to make us wonder about God, to make us appreciate his glory, and to say, I want to know more about this God who created all these things, right? And then we learn from that. But before I get there, let me say this. You know, in our culture, we are told that... Faith and science cannot coexist, right? That they're mutually exclusive, that if you're a, sci if you're a scientist, you cannot be a creationist, <laughs> right? But, you know, David himself had the answer to that question. So turn with me for a second to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Albert, would you read verse 1 and 2? That's fine. Verse 1 and 2. Wow. So praise the Lord. Glorify God. Honor God. Right? In the assembly. Together. All the people. And then he goes on to say... In verse 2, the work of the Lord are great. And it says that these works are what? Studied. <laughs> okay. And the word in the, in, the, uh, in the Septuagint, which is the, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word there for studied is the same word that is used in Peter, that Peter uses in 1 Peter 1.10, when they talks about the prophets of all, they say, you know, this salvation the prophets have inquired. 
It says, have inquired and searched carefully. So the word study there, what he's saying is that all those, the glory of God, the, the works of God, they are studying. You know what people are doing? You know, they're studying God's works. Now, we have the electronic microscopes here. We have all this kind of science. And it's going to be a great day of judgment for those people who have looked at all that stuff in detail and said, there is no God. And in Romans 1, it says that they are without excuse. Because God has spoken to them loudly. And he has done it through creation. So rather, people in Romans 1, right, Paul says that even though they knew God, they did not honor him. They did not give glory to him. So they, they had this evidence of God, and rather than being attracted to God and wanting to know more about him and be drawn to him and trying to learn about him, they say, you know, yeah, there is a God. We can see that, but we want nothing to do with him. Okay. Questions or comments so far? Or observations? Yeah, God's testimony to the whole world so that everybody... Two things, right? People can be attracted to him, can be drawn to him. And those who reject him will be without excuse, right? Okay. So let's look now at the second part of Psalm 19. So now that the people have received this revelation of God, have had this overwhelming evidence of God, there are some that are going to reject that, like we see in Romans 1, because of the weakness of, uh, wickedness of people. But then there are those who may be drawn to him. And they want to know more about God. And uh, so David now is going to speak a little bit about God's special, uh, special revelation as being in the, the Word of God. General revelation is, uh, is testimonial. It's telling us something. It's clarity, right? While special uh, revelation is functional and it's operative. It works. The word works, right? The word convicts. It leads to salvation. It gives us the wisdom and knowledge to come to faith in Christ. So David is going to touch on the word a little bit here. So let's see who would like to read. Let's see what I got. Verses 7 through 11. Do I Thank you. So we are going to see now that in verses 7 and 8, is going to give us some, the cause and effect of the Word of God. The Word of God is this, and it does this. The Word of God is this, and it does this, right? And then the rest of the verses are going to be more on the character of the Word, what the Word is. So let's look at verse 7 for a, for a second. Uh, two things that are said about God's Word on verse 7. Two characteristics of God's Word. What are they? Perfect is one, yeah, and the other one? Sure, that's correct. A perfect means that it's complete, it's sound, it's healthy. Okay? And sure, it means that it's, uh, uh, that it's uh, firm, that it's reliable, that it's trustworthy, right? So, and then it says that the Word of God is perfect, and what does it do? Restores the soul. Let's fix, you know, it fixes the soul. It converts the soul. What is the soul? Well, let's think about the soul as the inner part of man, right? The soul and the spirit. Let's think about the essence of man, right? So, let me ask you a question. According to David, if I have a soul problem, <laughs> who do I go to? You go to the Lord. He's the one who can fix the soul. He's got the answer, right? We know these verses in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, The heart is wonderful. No, the heart is deceitful 
above all things, right? And desperately wicked, not just wicked, desperately wicked, really, really, really wicked, right? Who can know it, right? Men cannot know the heart. You know what? I cannot know my own heart. My heart is so deceitful, so wicked, so desperately wicked, that I don't really know the depth of my depravity, <laughs> the depth of the condition of my heart. Right? No wonder people have problems, right? Who can know it? And then the answer is, I the Lord, right? I search the heart. I taste the mind. Uh, I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. The point here is, if I have a, a, a soul problem, right? Sometimes those are respect, you know, the, uh, I'm not sure how to say it correctly without being, you know, but uh, character issues, uh, emotional issues, whatever it may be, you know, something troubling things, right, that causes my life to be a mess. Where do I go? Well, what fixes it? The word, right? In Hebrews chapter 4, what does it say about the word? That is sharper than any two-edged sword. And he divides. I cannot see. I don't know. But God knows. And he can fix the broken heart. He can fix the messy heart. He can fix that what needs to be restored. Then it says that is firm. Um, right? It says there in verse 7, The Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Cause and effect, right? Uh, now I'm going through the book of Proverbs. I wish I had that proverb memorized. <laughs> I wish I knew them all by heart. Because as I read through the book of Proverbs, I say, oh my, man. Yeah, this is good advice. Yeah, this is good advice. This is good advice, right? And in general, the whole word of God, right? Uh, to give wisdom to the naive, to the simple, to the... Uh, not immature, whatever. He says, follow the word, right? Follow the word. Um, obedience to the word makes the naive wise. Obedience to the word makes the naive wise. How about verse 8? What are the two words that I use there, the two cause and effect that I use there to relate to the word? Yeah, it says the statutes of the Lord are right or righteous, right? And the other one was pure, right? Pure means that it's correct, proper, it's pleasing. Uh, and obedience to the word brings about, and look what it says there. The, the statutes of the Lord are pure, doing what? Rejoicing the heart, right? Obedience to the word will result in happiness, you know, sometimes it's, it's a hard thing to do because I, I know better than God. Right? So if I'm deciding something and, 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 you know, God give me advice in his words, my Lord, you know, I know better. You've never been through this. God, how many times have you had to deal with these kind of situations? You know, <laughs> God never dealt with marital issues. What does he know about marriage? Oh, he knows a lot. He created it. <laughs> God never know about dealing with people or, or whatever, children. What does he know about that? Oh, yeah, he does know. He put it all in place, right? So obedience to the word results in gladness of heart. And then he says that it's pure. Uh, it's clean. It's uncorrupted. It's radiant. And you know what? Obedience to the word invigorates. There at the end of verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, right? It's like you get revived. You get energized, right? We went on the back ride, as I mentioned yesterday, we look. We get half, halfway, and I tell, look, inside. so before we got there, so look, my, my legs are gone, you know? And he said, well, I got, a, I got a cliff bar here, right? And so I got half of the cliff bar, and then we turn around, and the wind on my back. So the wind on my back and the cliff bar, he said, man, you're moving now. <laughs> Yeah, I felt re-energized. I felt invigorated. I had a big smile. Stop talking. Look, let me go here. <laughs> right? So that's the idea of the Word of God here. It's pure. It's clean. It's uncorrupted. It's radiant. It gives me energy. 
It invigorates me. You know, it, it motivates me. It causes me to go. All right. All right. Any thoughts before we get to the next section? Correct. No, verse 8. Yes. You want to say something about verse 9? Okay. It's all right. It's more of the idea, that is, that's a good observation, you know, and that is good. But it's also is the idea, you know, when you see somebody that have a spark in their eyes, you see people say, man, that, that person has a spark on their eyes. They have, they have this, this attitude of joy, invigorated, alive, you know. So I think that that's the thought that comes around. Yes, Albert. Okay. Right. Well, there is a little bit of discussion there because uh, that's an interesting verse, uh, verse 9, because it talks about the fear of the Lord. And in the context, it's always referring to something that is God's word. Right? So I take it that the fear of the Lord is another reference to God's word. Yeah. It's not my fear of the Lord. Is God's word itself. And so let's read verse 9. It says, uh, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous. So now it's not a cause and effect, but just a description of the God's word, right? Uh, and again, I take it here that the fear, and the word fear is the word fear there, right? And so maybe it's the idea we need, we need to pay attention to the word, right? And pay attention to the word because the word is clean. The word is pure. Scripture is flawless. You know, scripture is flawless. How flawless is it? That endures forever. Right? In Isaiah 40, it says, The grass wither and the flower fades. Right? Neh has a garden. Yeah, we see them all. <laughs> they look so pretty. Look at those tulips. They look so pretty. Look at those daylilies. They look so pretty. Two days later, they're all gone. <laughs> One day, they lily, right? Yeah. So the grass wheels, the, uh, uh, the flower faced by the word of the Lord endures forever. So the word, the God's word uh, is everlasting. It has, uh, is, uh, uh, is flawless. Scripture is flawless. And then it goes on. The second part says that his judgments are true and righteous. You know. What does that tell us about the word? When you say that something is true and righteous, what do you think about? Maybe that is trustworthy. Exactly. That it is reliable. You know, I can trust the word. I can take it for what it says. You know, much of the battle in today is for people who they want to minimize the authority and the power of the word. And say, so, well, you, you cannot trust the word. You cannot have a confidence. You know, that was written by men. Yeah, it was written by men. I mean, God was not holding the pen. But God was communicating to men exactly what he wanted to put down, right? So it is trustworthy. It's, it's reliable. Uh, uh, let's keep on moving down <laughs> to verse 10. Uh, look at the attitude toward the word, the value of the word. More to be desired than gold, you know. If somebody says to you, okay, uh, Derek, I got a Bible here and I borrow five ounces of gold. Which one you take? Bible. Yeah, I will take the gold. I already have lots of Bibles. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, right? But you see, right, what it's saying, that the value of God's word, right, is such that money cannot buy what God's word provides. You know, it's, it's something that endures forever. Everything that we can buy, we're going, it's going to burn. It's going to burn, except the word of God is going to endure forever, okay? And then it says that sweeter than honey, 
Yeah, you know, we live in a culture there that everybody wants honey. Don't give me sugar. Give me honey. <laughs> all right? Uh, it's healthy for you and all that kind of stuff. You know, the value of honey. You know that people say that they have found in the, in the pyramids of Egypt, they have found containers with honey that's still good, that's still edible, right? Amazing, right? So honey is used about the, the value of honey, about the sweetness of honey, right? And it says that the word of God is even more pleasant than that, right? If I'm having problem of the soul and my soul needs to be restored, needs something sweet, I'll go to the Word. We'll go to the Word and be encouraged, be strengthened. Our eyes will brighten. Remember the story of, uh, I think it was Jonathan. Yeah, remember the story of Jonathan. They were fighting, they were battling, and, and there were some enemies over the hill. And Jonathan went up there without soul knowing, and he fought and won. But he was worn out. And then when he's coming back from the battle, he's tired. What does he find? Some honey. And he takes a handful of the honey. He eats the honey. And the eyes brighten. <laughs> right? And Saul said, let's kill him. <laughs> Wrong guy. Right? But the idea of honey. So we see that, that idea of God's word there. That is, is valuable. Right? It's satisfying uh, to our spiritual needs. Moreover, by them your servant, verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is worn, and in keeping with them there is great reward. So the word also serves for what? Warning. Cautioning us. Advising us. Hey, be careful with this. Be careful with that. Don't get drunk. Don't go the way of the harlot. Be careful about sin. You know, be careful what you do with your money. Be careful how you dress. You know, be careful about false teacher. Don't listen to a false gospel presentation. The God, the God's word warns us, right, to keep us on the right path. Okay, it warns us against uh, evil and evil teachers and the way of the and, and tells us the way of the righteous. And then says, and then it says that it rewards. It rewards. Um, uh, and in keeping them, God's word, there is great reward. There is many blessings. Just the idea of feeling blessed by keeping God's word. You know what? I did what God wanted me to do. It was a struggle. I doubted, but, you know, I decided to be obedient. So I did what God wanted to do. There is that. Okay. Um, any thoughts? We'll get to the last part we are going to have to do this quickly. John? Okay. Albert, what you had to say? You had something in mind earlier. Nothing? Okay. Uh, let's read quickly, because <laughs> we got to do our prayer time here. But let's see who wants to read um, verses 12 through 14. And this, uh, this is the human response right here, right? Uh, the human response. So we see the glory of God declared in the heavens. That us to attract us to God. We learn more about God. And we see that God is the, is the soul fixer through his word. Right? The benefits of his word. Right? And uh, how do we respond? You know, what should be our desire response? Who would like to read again verses 12 through 14? Somebody there. Look. Yeah, who can understand his errors? What did we read earlier in Jeremiah 17 about the heart? Uh, I, I don't even know my own sin. I don't even know my own depravity. I don't even know the extent of my weakness. Right? Who can understand that? Nobody does except God. And he reveals it through the word. And then he says, cleanse me from secret False to secret errors. You know, secret false, secret errors are 
the sins that I do in ignorance. I'm not even aware that I'm sinning. You know, I'm not even aware that I'm doing wrong. And then I get in the word and say, oh my, I should not have done that. I did this and I caused my brother to stumble. Man, I should have not done that. So it's a sin of ignorance. And it says that, you know, uh, cleanse me, Lord, forgive me. I didn't even know that I done wrong, right? We get in the word and then we learn, oh man, uh, that was the wrong decision. That was the wrong thing to say. That was the wrong advice. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, you know. And sometimes, you know, we don't know, and it take, may take your brothers, hey, you know, listen, to, uh, look at the word, look at this verse, look at this passage, uh, to be encouraged, to be, so the secret faults, cleanse me, you know, remove them from me. Uh, and then it talks about uh, verse 13. That's a little more serious. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. So, the secret sins, the sins of ignorance, are the things, sins that I knew I do without knowing. Right? I am not aware that that was sin. I didn't know that that was a problem, right? But I went ahead and did. Now I did. Ah, the word showed me. Now repent. How, what are the presumptuous sins? I'm going to do it anyway. You know, do not get drunk with wine. Okay, I'm going to use champagne. Okay. Right? Yeah, those are the, the sins with the high hand sins, you know, the sins of arrogance that says, you know, God says to do this, and I know, and I'm going to do it anyways, right? And those sins are very powerful. The sins of high hand sins, that's what it tells us the scripture, right? Look what it says there. Uh, keep your servant also from the presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let them not be master over me. Wow. You know, once we, a person gets caught up into this idea, I'm going to do it anyways. You know what happens? We are going to do it anyways more often. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, Lord, I know what your word says about this issue, but I'm going to do it anyways. Right? And you fill in the blank final situation in life or whatever. Right? When people know exactly what the word says, and they are disobedient to the word, they do it anyways, right? And they have dominion because it's like sin. It is sin, right? We get caught up into this uh, doing and doing and doing. So, Lord, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. You know, to... Do sins in secret, in ignorance, is a transgression. But to sin with knowledge, in defiance of God's word, is a great transgression. It's really offensive to God. Okay. Thoughts, questions? You guys are too, God, too good to me. You, you don't put me on the spot. <laughs> Otherwise, I said, Albert, you answer. <laughs> yeah, you know, God reveals his greatness in the universe, right? He reveals his holiness and the power of his word. And then our response is, I better not do that. I better listen to God. I better respond to God in a positive manner. And then he finishes with verse 14. I like those verses, right? Okay, if I'm applying the word, right? If I'm applying, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, acceptable in your sight. What I say and what I think. You know, actions follow what? Thoughts. You know, we think about it or don't think about it correctly, and actions follow that, right? So if I think correctly, I'm going to say the right things, and I'm going to do the right things. And for me to think correctly, the meditation of my heart, I have to be where? In the Word, right? My mind has to be renewed. My mind has to be transformed. My mind has to be 
changed. So now God's word is dominating my thoughts. It's dominating my speech. It's dominating my action. And if I do that, okay, I'm going to be, those things are going to be acceptable to God. And then David closes with this, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In other words, Lord, I cannot do without you. (laughs) And Lord, I'm going to mess up. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for redemption. So David understands the gravity of what he just said. And said, Lord, (laughs) I cannot do without you. Not an excuse, you know. Forgive me, cleanse me. I need your strength to do this. And when I mess, top, you are my redeemer. You are the one who will restore me, put me back, bring me together. All right, so let me close with these things here. A couple of little summary notes. Summary notes. God reveals his glory, greatness, majesty in creation, in the heavens, right? Which is evident to, to everybody. Everybody sees the moon, everybody sees the stars, everybody sees the sun, the sun, <laughs> okay? God's intention of general revelation is to draw men to God's word. So the intention of God's general revelation, and we didn't read it, but uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, 4, Ecclesiastes 3.14 says that God's works are great and men ought to fear them, okay? So it's the idea to draw people to himself, so... We look at what God has made. We are drawn to that. We want to know, know more about this God. And we come to the Word. Okay? And God's Word is perfect, pure, everlasting, and restorative. I got a soul problem. I got a sin problem. I got a Word answer. Right? And last, the Word exposes sin and explains the means of redations, redemption. Through Jesus Christ. All right. Any thoughts or questions? I know I went overboard over the time limit here, but you'll forgive me. That all? Albert, your turn.